10. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture tonight, Mark chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 11. We've um, um, been teaching for a number of weeks on the subject of faith. We've uh, entitled these Wednesday night services Faith Seminar just because we're trying to take our time and turn over every rock and talk about some things and, and um, really go into some uh, detail on the subject of faith. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about what, uh, what I believe is the most important aspect of the, of the subject of faith, of the fight of faith, or, or of your faith working effectively, and that is looking at the unseen. It's the make or break point for whether or not your faith is going to work. Mark chapter 11 tells us the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree, coming by the next day, and the, and the fig tree is dried up from the roots, and Peter calling to remember it said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, now the fact that he said he answered uh, tells us that there's an implied question here, even though Peter didn't ask a question. The implication is, Jesus, how did this happen? Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. There are different translations or different um, translations translate this in different ways. Some say have the faith of God. Uh, One translation says have the God kind of faith. The two things are important. One is he's telling them something they can have and should have. He's not saying, here's what I have. He's saying, you have this. The understood subject is you. You have this kind of faith. Now, what kind of faith is it? Well, it's either the faith of God or it's the God kind of faith. I don't know what other kind of faith God would have other than the God kind of faith. Are there any other kinds that he would, be, that he would have access to? He's certainly not going to have the devil's kind of faith. He's certainly not going to have man's kind of faith. So what kind of faith would there be or what would be the, the faith of God if not the God kind of faith? And then Jesus describes what that God kind of faith is like. How does it operate? He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, the God kind of faith speaks to the problems. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now, what is it telling us now? It's telling us the God kind of faith speaks the end result. The God kind of faith looks at a problem and speaks the end result, not the problem. Now, here's the qualifier, and shall not doubt in his heart, the heart being the spirit of the inner part of man, the part that, uh, of man that, cannot, that's, uh, that Paul calls the hidden man of the heart, the part of man that can't be reached with the five physical senses. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So what does a God kind of faith do? The God kind of faith speaks to problems. It speaks the end result of problems. It stays steady no matter what it sees or feels. And it believes that words change things. Now Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. gives us uh, Paul gives us by the Holy Ghost a definition of faith. He said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Please notice that phrase. The evidence of things not seen. How can you have evidence of things not seen? Well, Jesus just told us what the God kind of faith is like. I'm sure if the Holy Ghost inspired Peter or uh, Paul, which I believe was the author of the book of Hebrews, to write telling us about faith, then he's got to be talking about the same God kind of faith that Jesus is describing because what other kind of faith would we want or aspire to other than the God kind of faith? So Paul says, by the Holy Ghost, here's what the God kind of faith does. The God kind of faith, that faith that Jesus told us speaks to problems, speaks the end result, not the problem. Holds steady no matter what it sees or feels. And believes that words change things. 
Paul said that faith is the evidence of things not seen. So we could summarize it by saying this. That faith, the God kind of faith, which speaks is the evidence of things not seen. Your words are the evidence of things you can't see. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, 35, I think it was. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart. Notice the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart or the spirit of man, the mouth speaks. Notice the God kind of faith is all about words spoken from the heart or the spirit. And held to. So your words are the evidence of things you don't see. And your words are going to be the only evidence of things you can't see that you'll ever have. Until you can see them. Until the things change and you can see them. Now turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 17 and 18. I want you to see what Paul said. Writing to the church at Corinth. Who's going through some hard times and hard places. Paul had some experience with that. He speaks of his own experience as well. And notice he says in verse 17. He said for our light affliction. In other words the trouble that we're going through. He calls it a light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, some people will stop right there and say, well, yeah, see, trouble trouble is what God uses to, to perfect us. Well, is that what it's saying? It says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Notice verse 18. While... In other words, the affliction is not going to do anything for you. The affliction doesn't bring you into glory. But the affliction will bring you into the glory of God while you're looking at things that are not seen. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, what's he saying? He's saying trouble here on the earth. As James said in James chapter 1, about verse 4, somewhere around there, he said, The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, wanting nothing. In other words, James said it, James speaking by the Holy Ghost, talking about the same situation, talking about the same, uh, same subject. James said that the trying of your faith or your light affliction, the trial of your faith, Works for you a far more exceeding weight of glory, meaning the development of patience, spiritual characteristics, constancy, literally. Patience is the word constancy. Trying of your faith, work as patience, and if you let patience finish its work, then you'll be constant. You'll be in a position where you'll be maturing enough, maturing to the point where nothing bothers you. You can be just like Paul and say, I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like not to have anything. Neither one move me. Now, can I ask you a question? What does a far more exceeding weight of glory mean? Seems to me that the King James translators in certain instances, this being one of them, went into contortions to try to make sure we didn't know what he was talking about. What is a far more exceeding weight of glory? Well, far more exceeding is uh, is a connection of several adjectives uh, or superlatives, really. That identify that it's far, 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 far above the affliction or the trouble that we experience here on the earth. So he's talking about something that's much, 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 much better. So he says, if you keep your eyes on things that are not seen while you're in the middle of your your trouble, you can come out with something much, 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 much better than anything here on the earth. But what? 
the exceeding weight of glory that it's talking about. The word weight literally means load or burden, but it means abundance. It's talking about a load or it's talking about a burden in the sense of having more than you'll ever need. Having an abundance. An abundance of what? An abundance of the glory of God. Now, why is going through trouble under the right circumstances, notice it's not the trouble itself that perfects you. It's not the trouble itself that helps you. But it's how you handle the trouble that makes a difference. See, if you're going through trouble, if the trying of your faith is not met with the, the, uh, if the criteria is not met, so that you look at things that are not seen, but you keep your eyes on what you can see, and you moan and groan like most of the church does, and say, oh God, why did this happen to me? Trouble always follows me no matter what. Anytime something good happens, something bad comes along and wipes it out. Or whatever people might say and think. If that's the way people handle it, with questions, oh, why did God let this happen to me? What's going to happen next? We just can't understand the will and the plan and the purpose of God. Well, that won't do any good for you. But if you handle it right, if you take the situation that you're in, the trouble that you find yourself in, the the things that the devil raises up against you, and you keep your eyes on the unseen. We'll, do, we'll describe that and explain that a little bit further as we go. But if you keep your eyes on that which you can't see, that which is not seen, then that will produce in you something that's even greater than if everything had gone smoothly from the beginning. And in fact, the devil will wish he had left you alone and let things go smoothly from the beginning. Because once you find out how it works and become settled and train yourself in this respect, then the devil knows the next time is not going to bother you. Or at least it's not going to bother you to the same degree. It may be a process. It may be step by step. But he knows he's lost ground with you. So notice what he says. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us an abundance of the glory of God. Something that can't be compared to the things here on the earth. Something that can't, is so far beyond even uh, pleasant things here on the earth. The absence of trouble here on the earth. Well, I don't know about you, but I want that. I don't want just natural things to work out. I want to grow and develop spiritually. Don't you? That's what James is talking about. One translation of James 1, 4 says that you may be perfect and complete, wanting nothing. One translation says perfectly developed in the things of God. I want that. I want to be perfectly developed in the things of God. Well, what causes that to happen? keeping our eyes on the things that we can't see now we're uh, well you don't have to hold your finger here turn with me over to romans chapter 4 we'll refer back to second corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 several times but i want you to see romans chapter 4 romans chapter 4 is describing abraham it's using abraham as an example of the faith that we're supposed to follow and it says about abraham that god made him a promise god spoke a promise to him and that promise was that I have, well, literally, it's, it's not a promise. God said something, made a de- declaration and a statement to it. Abraham received it as a promise. But God said here, as far as I'm concerned, here's how it is. As it is written, verse 17, I have made thee a father of many nations. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. God said it's already done. From his perspective, it's already done. Now, remember what we talked about last week, and I hope you were here. If not, uh, it might be a good idea for you to get it because we're going to build on some things. uh, Get the the tape of the service, I mean, because we're going to build on some things. But you need to realize that the Bible has a principle that it speaks of over and over and over again. And that is, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. 
Now, there are always three witnesses. There's God's word, which tells you who you are and what you have in Christ. And then there's circumstances of the devil's words that are, that are always going to be in contradiction to the word. Well, those are two witnesses. What's the third witness? The third witness is you. And whether or not God's word comes to pass in your life is going to depend on if you is going to depend on you taking sides with God's word and speaking what God's word says. Because two always outnumbers one. I don't care how many new maths they come up with, that's always going to be true. Two will always outnumber one. Now what happens so many times in the lives of Christians, well-meaning believers, people that love God with all their heart, they'll hear the devil's report and they'll take sides with that. Well, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Even the devil's word can be established in your life. And the way that that takes place is by you taking sides with what the devil says. Now, the devil speaks through a variety of ways. And it doesn't mean that somebody that's speaking on behalf of the devil or speaking the devil's words is a bad person. For example, you might go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you with cancer. Well, what do most people do? Most people will come away saying to their loved ones, whatever, the doctor has diagnosed me with cancer. And then now with the Internet age, we'll get online and we'll study all about cancer. We'll find out everything we can about it, meditate on it, do what we can to get all the information. There's nothing wrong with information. But most people take the information, for, get the information, gather the information for the purpose of deciding what they're going to do about the cancer. When all the time they're ignoring the second witness. That witness is Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes you were healed. Now whichever way, no matter what you intend. This is spiritual principle. It's a spiritual law and it works this way every time. No matter what you intend. No matter how much you love God. If you take sides with the devil's report. You're establishing that in your life. And it's a complete waste of time. To take sides with the devil's report. And then say, Pastor Mike, pray for me that God will heal me. Because you've already established the word that the devil has spoken. The circumstances that the devil has brought to you. You've already established that in your life. You know how the Bible says in several places, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. No, I got that wrong. Yeah, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know how you bind and loose? Most people will use that verse of scripture and they'll talk about some special prayer where you say, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. You know how you bind the devil? By speaking in line with God's word. It's not some special prayer. It's not some special event. It's you taking sides with God's words by you speaking the same thing God says. Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Abraham has the same exact situation to deal with. As a matter of fact, even in the book of Job, Job chapter 22, I think it is, verse 28. One of Job's friends. We know how stupid they were. But even one of Job's friends understood this. They understood this in Job's day. And most everybody agrees that Job was at the very least a contemporary of Abraham, if not before. So even back in those days, they knew. Job 22, verse 28 says, Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established. And the light shall shine on thee in in thy way, or something like that. Thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. In other words, what you decide, whether you take sides with God's word or whether you take sides with the devil and the circumstances around you, the natural circumstances that come against us or face us, whichever way you choose with your words, 
That's how you make your choice is by speaking. Your choice establishes which way it's going to be. That's what Abraham is facing. He's over, well, he's about 100 years old. God's promised him. He said, I've made you the father of nations. So you've got God's report that says something is the way that he can't see that it is. The reality of God's word is unseen to Abraham. So he's going to have to choose which way he's going to go. Because whichever way he takes sides, either the physical circumstances, I'm too old to have children, that ship has sailed, or according to God's word, whichever way he chooses, that's the way it's going to be established. Now notice in the last part of verse 17, it says before him, King James says, uh, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations before him. It's talking about Abraham imitating God. And another translation says it this way. Abraham was like him who speaks of two characteristics. First one is who calleth things that be not as though they were. Who calleth things that be not as though they were. Now you may not know this, but that's talking about the difference between the seen and the unseen. You may never have thought of it in those those, uh, terms. But it's talking about the difference in the seen or things that you can see and things that you can't see. It's the same exact thing Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While our light affliction works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look, at, look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are unseen. It's talking about the difference between the seen and the unseen realm. And Abraham, this is one of the key elements of Abraham's faith that we're supposed to imitate. Abraham was like unto God. Abraham imitated God who calleth things that be not as though they were. Let's change the words a little bit so it's easier to understand. Who calleth things that are unseen as if they were seen. That's what God does. If we were to take time to go back to the Genesis, uh, first chapter of Genesis, we'll find out that there are ten times in the Genesis chapter 1 where God said. It says, literally, it's written ten times, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be a firmament in the heavens. Or a firmament in the, the divide the waters from the land. And God said, let there be lights in the heavens. And on and on and on. Let the waters come back, come no further. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. And God said, let the beast of the field come forth. And so forth. Ten times it says what God said. Now you need to realize it could have told us. The Holy Ghost could have said one time and God said this, 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 and this. But it doesn't. It says again and again and again. And God said... And God said, and God said, and God said. Now, do you remember enough about Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 uh, to, to recall what I'm going to tell you rather than look at it? If not, turn back there. Because you need to realize that Paul said, by the Holy Ghost, here's God telling us that troubles here on the earth can work to your spiritual advantage. While you look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The word temporal means subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. What is that telling us? That's telling us there's one difference, two realities, one difference. There is the reality of the things that you see here on the earth. There is the reality of our physical circumstance. Those things are real. And sometimes people get tripped up by thinking they're supposed to confess something that's not real. How can I say I'm healed when, I'm, when the sickness really is in my body? Well, folks, you don't have to deny the circumstances to operate in faith. There is a physical and a natural reality. And there is an eternal reality. 
In other words, the things that you can't see are just as real, actually more real than the things that you can see. What's the difference between the seen realities and the unseen realities? There's only one difference. The seen realities are subject to change. The unseen realities will never change. That's why David said in Psalm 119 several different times, he said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word will never change. The things that the Bible tells you, the things that the word of God tells you belong to you, those never change. Now, that doesn't mean they're just going to fall on you. It doesn't mean they're going to work out for you. You have to establish the word of God in your life by taking sides with it through the words that you speak. But those realities will never change. Now, do you remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3? It says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Again, I think the, the, uh, the grammar structure of the sentence, that verse is a little bit blind to us, but it's talking about the difference between the things you can see and the things you can't see. Talking about exactly the same thing, different terminology, but exactly the same thing. It's saying the things which we see, which is everything in this natural realm, everything in this physical realm, all the things of this physical realm were not made from things which do appear. In other words, we're not made from things that you see. Well, if they were not made from things that you can see, then what were they made of? They were made from things you can't see. What things? The word of God. In other words, Hebrews 11.3 is telling us what is the agent whereby these temporal things, temporal realities here on the earth, natural and physical circumstances are changed. It's by the word of God and only by the word of God. Now, in Romans 4, again, I hope you didn't turn away from there. If you did, turn back real quick. Verse 17 again. Forgive me for jumping back and forth, but all these things relate to one another. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations before him. Here's how Abraham operated. Here's how Abraham imitated God. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. Calleth unseen things as if they're seen. And that's exactly what God did in those 10 times in Genesis 1 where it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. Now, this is the real issue. Looking at the unseen means speaking in line with what the word says instead of what you see around you. But how do you do that? Because the devil will beat your brains out with showing you circumstances and natural and physical realities. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? Well, let's back up a little bit and use an illustration. If I say the word car, you instantly have a picture of a car, probably yours. But if I change it a little bit and say big car, well, if you drive a small car, if you came in a small car or own a small car, you're not thinking about yours anymore. Now, if you have a big car, then you might keep the same picture. But then if I say big black car, If your car is white, now all of a sudden you're thinking of something else. And it's not a matter of what you try to think of. Those thoughts naturally come. As soon as you hear a word, an image occurs or pops into your mind. Now, let's say that you don't know what kind of car I've got. And I take some time and describe to you what what my car looks like and how you can identify my car from every other car in the parking lot. I could give you enough specific detail to where any one of you could walk outside and find my car from my description, although you've never seen it.
That's exactly what the Word of God does. The Word of God creates the image that you're supposed to keep. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 4. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, or like unto him, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. He calls unseen things like they are seen. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of nations, many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. The word considered means to look intently upon. In other words, he looked away from the circumstances to something else. He didn't deny the circumstances. He didn't wake up in the morning and say, my body's not 100 years old. That has no, that has no, uh, that, that's not effective. It's, it would be foolish. That's not faith in action. Faith doesn't deny the physical reality. Faith just simply speaks what God says. So he considered not, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Staggered not means this is the characteristic that Jesus was talking about and shall not doubt in his heart. The God kind of faith which speaks to the problem, speaks the end result to the problem, and never moves off of what he says. Where it says he staggered not at the promise of God. That means here's how he kept from moving away from the words that he spoke. He staggered not at the promise of God. Through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. One translation says the American Standard Translation of verse 20 says. But looking under the promise of God he wavered not at the promise. Uh, he wavered not through unbelief. But looking under the promise of God, he wavered not. In other words, God's word painted a picture for Abraham that he kept looking at. If he looked in the mirror, if they had mirrors, if he looked in the mirror, he looks like he's 100 years old because he is. The physical reality is he's 100 years old. The physical reality is he's past childbearing years just like Sarah is at age 90. The physical reality is there is no opportunity for us to have a child any longer. But he's got a promise from God. The witness that he sees in his body is his body's age and the way it's functioning. But the second witness is God said, I have made thee the father of nations. Now he's going to establish which way it's going to be. It's not the will of God that's going to matter here. What's going to matter is which way he chooses. It's which way he goes. He could just give up on it and say, well, you know, God's been true about every other thing that he said, but, you know, this is just too, way too far out there for me. And he missed out on what God had for him all along. And folks, you need to realize one of the reasons that Abraham becomes the father of faith, one of the reasons that God uh, showed, used Abraham as the great example to follow is because God saw the characteristics in Abraham before he even developed them. Before this development, before this characteristic of faith and strong faith was even developed in Abraham, God saw in him that this is what he would do. God didn't just drop faith on him that he didn't have before. He did the same thing that he does for you and me. He told him the word. He described what his will was for him. He described what he could have to paint the image and the picture on the inside. But what picture Abraham chooses to look at is up to him. Turn with me over to James chapter 1. Does this make any sense? James chapter 1. 
Let's start in verse 21. It says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is another one of those spiritual contortions to come up with a translation. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness just simply means lay aside the desires of the flesh. Now, what does it mean, lay aside the desires of the flesh? It means there's always going to be a physical circumstance in your flesh or in your life that's going to try to take you away from the word of God. Here's, he's talking about the witness of the flesh, the witness of the natural realm. He's saying, reject the natural witness and instead receive with meekness the engrafted word. Establish the word of God in your life by taking sides with what God said. Back to the same principle. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He's saying, don't side in with the natural circumstance. Don't side in with what your flesh wants to do. Don't side in with what you can see and feel. But instead, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Notice verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You ever been in a service, hopefully it's here, but if you ever been in a service where the, the word of God's being preached and there's a real strong anointing and there's other people that believe like you do and man, it just feels like you could charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. You just get excited and spiritually charged up and, and, uh, and, and primed and, and it's like, yeah, where are you, Mr. Devil? I'll take you on right now. But then tomorrow, the devil shows up and there's nobody else around but you. You don't feel that same excitement because you're not in the service anymore. And what do you do now? That's what James is talking about. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the word. Now, how can you receive the engrafted word with meekness? How can you be teachable to the word of God to engraft it into your heart and not be a doer? By not keeping up with it. How are we doers of the word of God? By taking sides with God's word. How do you take sides with God's word? You say it. You speak it. So you could receive with meekness the engrafted word, but not keep saying it and not be a doer of the word. And that's what he's talking about because that's what he describes. In other words, he's saying, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls, literally renew your minds, but stay with it. Keep being a doer of the word. Keep speaking and confessing the word of God. For, verse 23, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Now, we've already established that a hearer is a person that accepts the word of God. They get excited about the word of God, perhaps, but they don't continue to confess it. They don't build it into their spirit by confessing the word. They don't establish it in their life by continuing to speak God's word. It's not enough just to say, well, yeah, okay, I see what the devil's saying. I see what God's saying. I'll go with God. Thank you, Father, for working it out. No, you've got to stay with it. You've got to keep speaking it so that it builds into your heart, into your spirit. Because your mind is already renewed to the devil's way of thinking. Your mind is already renewed or your mind's been trained to operate according to the course of this world. And Satan is the God of this world. He's the God of this world system. So if we're going to train ourselves or renew our minds to a different way, we're going to have to keep saying the word of God. We're going to have to keep speaking the word of God until it becomes reality on the inside of us. Until it becomes more real to us on the inside than the circumstances around us. Because then and only then will the temporal things change. The things subject to change will change. So James says, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he doesn't continue to confess it. 
Then he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Now the glass means a mirror. The mirror he's talking about is the word of God. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now what is it telling us about the word of God? It's telling us that the word of God creates the description of who we are and what belongs to us through the sacrifice of Jesus so that we get the right picture on the inside. When God created the earth, there was darkness that covered the face of the deep. There was water and darkness covered the face of the deep. Now we know that God intended for there to be light and for there to be land, dry land. But what did God do? God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters recede. Let the dry land come forth. Notice that God did not describe in in minute detail what light was supposed to look like. But he had an image of it in his own, uh, within himself, didn't he? There's certainly no physical evidence of light when he looks into the darkness and says, let there be light. But God knew what he intended to, there to be. And it worked out exactly the way that he saw on the inside. If, I, I don't know if that's a good, good way to say it, but it's a way that we could relate to. So if that's not entirely accurate, then forgive me. He, God doesn't have an inside because he doesn't have a flesh. But God on, in, the, in himself saw what light was supposed to be. He saw a picture of the earth that he wanted to create or recreate, didn't he? So what did he do? He used his words to create the image that he had before it, was, before it occurred. What are our words supposed to do? Our words are supposed to create the image that we have on the inside. Well, what if you got the wrong image on the inside? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You'll create in your life the image, the wrong image that you see within yourself. You know, they've come up in business practices and so forth uh, with the understanding that how a person sees themselves is how they'll, what they'll live up to or live down to. And so they go through all these kind of different exercises and so forth where people look at themselves in the mirror and say, you're a winner. You're a great salesman. They're trying to build in themselves something that may contradict their natural thinking about themselves. Well, if, that, if they figured that out in business, they figured out the truth of that to use lies in business to gain natural success. How much more true is it when you use God's word to build the right image on the inside of you? And God gives you a detailed ex- description, much more detailed than I could give you of a car or anything else that we could go looking for. God gives you a detailed description of who you are and who you've been made to be in Christ Jesus. That's what James is talking about. But if you don't confess the word, if you don't side in with the word of God by speaking it continually, then when you get away from the word or the service where everybody's charged up and excited about the things of God, then you'll forget who you are. You'll go back to the old way of thinking because you never changed the wrong image to the right image. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. In other words, you will speak in line with whatever image you have. Whether it's an image of you healed or an image of you sick. This is the thing that caught my attention when Brother Hagin would tell his, tell his story about receiving his healing. He said the hardest thing for him was that he couldn't see himself healed. He kept seeing himself dead. He got, went through a lot of detail about how he saw himself laid in the casket and everybody passing by. He saw himself laid, you know, lowered down into the grave and then throwing dirt clods in on top of the grave and burying him and so forth. He said the hardest thing, the last thing for him was to come to the place where he saw himself healed. 
Now, whether you know it or not, we're using the same, uh, using different term- terminology to talk about the same thing. He had to change the image on the inside of him. He had to see himself as healed. Now, how is he going to change that image when the doctors and everybody else has said, you don't have one chance in a million to live? There's only one place that he found information that told him that he could be healed, and that was from the Word of God. So he began to take sides with God's Word by confessing it. Now, before that, almost for a year and a half, he wanted to be healed. He cried to be healed. He cried and complained to God and told him how unfair everything was. He'd been sick all of his life, never run, played like little boys. And he wasn't as bad as some of the other kids that were out there healthy. But that didn't change the image. The only thing that will change the image is the description that God gives you about who you are and what belongs to you. That's what James is talking about. For he beholdeth himself, the hearer and not the doer, verse 24, he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continueth therein. How do you continue in the word of God? By speaking it. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Speak it day and night. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditating or continuing therein is continue to say what God's word says about you. To continue to say what God's word says you have. Folks, I got to tell you, if you start confessing the word the way that you're supposed to, it'll do away with a lot of your praying. Because there won't be anything to ask God to do for you. The word of God, taking side, you taking sides with God's word by speaking it will cause things to happen on their own. It's your exercise of dominion. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer. What makes the difference in the forgetful hearer and this guy? He continues therein. He continues to speak it. He being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Now how do we know it's talking about the words that we speak? He's not finished talking in verse 26. He said if any man among you seem to be religious. And bridleth or controlleth not his tongue. but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. In other words, he's saying it's all about the tongue. You can, take a, you can have a show of religion. You can have a show that you're all for the things of God, but if you don't control your tongue, now what does he mean control his tongue? Does he mean somebody not telling dirty jokes anymore? No, he's talking about controlling your tongue, meaning confessing the word. You can say you're on God's side. You can say that God's on your side. But if you don't confess what the word of God says, you can't build in or establish the word of God in your life. You won't have success. Are you out there? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the controlling of the tongue. Why? Because early in the chapter, he said the whole body is controlled by the tongue. Your body will obey your tongue. In other words, you can change things in your body. Why? Because they're subject to change. And the word of God is the agent or the means whereby you make that change in any and every area of your life. Anything in your life that doesn't line up with what the Bible says. For example, if you look at your financial statement or financial situation and there's lack, the Bible says that abundance was provided for you. Through the work of Jesus. It says the blessing of Abraham is yours. And Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. 
So you got two witnesses. You got the witness, the natural circumstance of your financial situation. And you've got God's witness or God's word that says abundance is yours. Which one's going to be established in your life? Whichever one you speak in line with. Whichever one you talk and hold fast to talking with. If there's sickness in your body, it's temporal. It's subject to change. How do we change it? By taking the witness of God's word that says by Jesus stripes you were healed. Taking sides with it. Establishing that word in your life and in your body by speaking what God's word says. By saying what God says about you. The more you say it, the more you're building the image of a healed body on the inside of you. The more you'll see yourself healed. That's what Proverbs chapter 4 is talking about. Verses 20 through 22. Where it says, my son, attend unto my words. How do you attend unto God's word? You put them first by speaking them. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Now, this is the one I want you to see. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. In other words, see yourself with what the word says you have. Build the image. Allow the word of God through confessing, through meditating in the word of God, through continuing to speak it. Allow the word of God to create the right image on the inside of you. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. The word of God will change any aspect of the law of sin and death in your life. Whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's social, whatever it is. Any condition, any part, any characteristic of the law of sin and death that's present in your life. That's a present circumstance in your life can and will be changed By speaking the word of God and seeing yourself with what it says you have. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. You will speak in line with the image you have. Whether it's positive or negative. And folks, this is a spiritual law. It works on the negative side just as real as it works on the positive side. That's why so many Christians are defeated and downcast and disturbed in their lives. They've taken sides with the devil's witness. They've established the devil's witness in their lives and they're frustrated because they see the promises of God and can't figure out why God doesn't make them happen. But he's not the one that makes them happen for you. You are. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Amen? But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Notice people deceive themselves through the the words of their mouth. The greatest area, the greatest um, aspect of the devil's deception, which is the only attack that he has, is the only weapon that he really has. The greatest area of deception for the devil is getting Christians to speak against what God says. Well-meaning Christians, Christians that love God with all their heart, not trying to criticize anybody, but they look at the circumstances around them and they say, well, it's obvious that this is the way things are. So they speak in line with what they see. And they nullify the word of God. The power of God's word. Remember Paul said in Romans 1.16. He said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it. The word of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. Now salvation means a whole lot more than just forgiveness of sins. It means a whole lot more than just getting saved. This word salvation means to rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound and to make whole. To heal. The power of God is the word of God. Well, how do we make the word of God work? How do we use the word of God with power? By speaking it. 
How do we speak it? How do we hold fast? How, how, do you know people? I'm, I certainly do. Don't you know people that have started off speaking the word, but after a while they got discouraged because nothing changed, and so they let it go? What happened? They doubted in their heart. They didn't hold fast. They let the things that they saw and the things that they felt and the things that the circumstances around them stop them or change them from what they were saying in line with God's word. And then they started saying, well, it's not working. I wish I had a nickel for everybody that came to me and said, Pastor Mike, I wish you'd tell me why it's not working. And I give them the same answer because you just said it's not working. Yeah, but, but that didn't count. I, I, I'm just being honest. Okay. Well, God was honest when he said that the blessings of God were yours. God was honest when he said all spiritual blessings are given to you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God was honest when he said Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. God was honest when he said, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God was honest when he said, I delight in the prosperity of my servant. God was really being honest about that. Yeah, well, that's what I need to know, Pastor Mike. Why isn't that working? Because you keep taking sides against it. And things will never change. Do you realize that a prayer for God to change things when you're speaking contrary to his word is asking God to violate his word? And he can't do it. He wants his word to work for you, but it has to work according to the spiritual principle, the spiritual law that's been established. And that is, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we have the privilege to exercise dominion in this earth through the words of our mouth. We choose, Father, to speak in line with your word. Therefore, we say that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the circumstances are in our bodies. We speak, Father, that abundance is ours. All of our needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because your word says so. No matter what our financial circumstance or situation is. We declare, Father, that we have peace no matter what's going on around us. We declare, Father, that our minds are renewed to the word of God. And whatever we see in your word, we will always take sides with and speak. Thank you, Father, that the things that are taking place around us, the circumstances of our lives are subject to change. And they change through the confession, our confession of your word. Thank you, Father. That we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.